Hello and welcome to the Daily Bible Reading Show. We're looking at Acts chapter 18 this morning, and I'm going to read you an old sermon I preached. Um, I cannot remember from when, but it was lying there in my Google Drive. I haven't read it yet. It's entitled "The Church Next Door." The Church Next Door, and it's based on Acts 18 verses 1 to 17. And here it goes. What was your first impression of the Chinese church? Do you remember the first time you came, the first person you met? Has anything changed since then?、Uh, if you've been here a while, it's easy to forget that newcomer perspective, seeing things with new eyes, hearing Jesus with fresh ears. Today's passage is about perspective. We meet three people: the newcomer, the old timer, and the non-Christian. Three perspectives from Acts, chapter 18, asking what is their perspective of Jesus, and what would they think of us, the Chinese church, the newcomer, the old timer, and the non-Christian.、Uh, Acts 18, verse one. After this. Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them every Sabbath. He reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Paul is new to Corinth. But so is this Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus or Turkey, who verse twelve, sorry verse two tells us, recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Why? Because they were kicked out of the country. Claudius, the emperor Claudius, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Everyone has a story, even the newcomer. Aquila and Priscilla were kicked out of Rome, refugees in Corinth. But in God's providence, they meet Paul, also a Jew, also a Christian, and become good friends. In fact, Paul goes looking for them, as if to say, "Of all people, I want to hang out with you." Verse three, because he was a tent maker, as they were. Everyone else saw Paul, the apostle. Paul the preacher, verse four. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. They saw him up front every week. Sorry, once a week. But Aquila and Priscilla saw Paul every day in the market, squatting and sewing tents. And because of that, their relationship was real. It was unique. How so? Imagine you had a tough week. And you turn up on Sunday, and the first person you meet is this happy, clappy Christian. Welcome to the Chinese church. You know, not a bad thing. But imagine instead, right next to you all week, was a brother or a sister going through the same things as you. You see them struggling every day, persevering every day, and come Sunday, they're standing right next to you, praising God. Having a friend like that changes our perspective of church and Christ, don't you think? Friends who are with us in Christ, 
friends who keep pointing us back to Christ. Paul himself was a newcomer, but he welcomed newcomers by doing life with them. Still an apostle, still preaching Christ, but still a friend, still a brother in Christ. When Silas and Timothy arrive in verse 5, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. But doesn't this show his humility? Even when he couldn't do this full-time, he was willing to work to make the gospel known part-time. The money we give our pastors, it's not a salary. We do not pay people to preach the gospel. Rather, what we are saying is, focus on the gospel, devote yourselves to preaching the gospel. It's interesting that Paul didn't say to Aquila and Priscilla, you pay and I'll preach, but rather you and I, our fellow co-workers in Christ, just like Silas, just like Timothy. More than welcoming them, Paul got them to work with him in the work of the gospel. Partly, I think, because Paul needed friends. He knew he couldn't do this work alone. Yes, we ought to be cautious, giving responsibility to newcomers and new Christians, but this is different. This is talking about humility. Are we willing to share the work at all? Or are we too suspicious or too proud to work with others for the gospel? Others from other churches, from other races? If Paul came to our church as a newcomer and was willing to work with us, would we be willing to work with him? That leads us to the second group, the old-timers. Look at verse 6. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. What a drama queen. <laughs> your blood be on your own heads. Talk about burning bridges. We're not surprised. This always happens to Paul. Why does he go to these Jews if he's only going to end up going to the Gentiles only? Actually, Paul gives us the reason why in verse 6 when he says, Your blood be on your own heads. He's actually quoting Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 4. Then if anyone hears a trumpet, but does not heed the warning and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood be on their own head. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not heed the warning, their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. Paul's strategy is not, who can I get to join my church, but who needs to hear this warning? And the answer is, everyone. More specifically, the answer is those whom God is speaking to in his word, meaning the Jews, meaning you and me reading the Bible right now. If you see the sword coming, God says, your job is to sound a trumpet. That's the job. Not put them out of bed and pack them off to safety. No, just sound the trumpet. Because if they ignore the trumpet and die as a result, God says, their blood will be on their own head. So Paul's not saying, you guys are idiots for not listening to me. Not at all. He is saying, I've done my job in speaking 
but you've not done your job in listening. Why does Paul start with the Jews? It's not because they're the easiest people to win to Christ. Matter of fact, they might be the worst and hardest people to win to Christ. Just like when some people ask me, why should I reach the Chinese? Thinking I'll say because we're all Chinese. I think we should reach the Chinese because we are the most stubborn, idolatrous people here in Cambridge. Friends, some of us are here in the Chinese church doing what we are doing, not because it's easy, but precisely because it is so hard serving here in the Chinese church. And I commend you who persevere through these challenges. You're doing what Paul did in reaching his own people, in reaching the old-timers. Verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So Paul goes next door to Revolution Bar and starts Revolution Church. By the way, next to the Chinese church at this bar called Revolution Bar. <laughs> he starts a Revolution Church. And every Sunday, as people go to the Chinese church, they see Paul through the window preaching. Except one Sunday, they see Pastor S sitting in the front row together with his wife H and their kids M and S. <laughs> he leaves his church and joins the church next door. Verse 8. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. We can laugh about this. <laughs> it will never happen. Or we can get angry about it. How can you tell this sort of thing here in church? But the truth is, the marks of authentic revival is not new people coming to Christ, but old-timers turning to Christ as well, both need to happen. Verse 8, many Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized, meaning non-Jews, non-Christians coming and being baptized, and we think that's great. But the first two converts are Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, and Crispus, the synagogue leader. When Paul says, you need to repent of your sins and turn to Christ, he doesn't just look at the newcomer who walked in the church. He's looking straight at the old-timers and the leaders, saying, I am talking to you as well. Just in case you need convincing, even Paul needed this reminder. Verse 9, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. When Jesus says, do not be afraid, it means Paul was afraid. When Jesus says, keep on speaking, it means Paul was tempted to stop. It's hard to tell. Sometimes Paul is so gifted, so experienced. But when it says Paul stayed for a year and a half as a result of the vision, it means Paul would have left if not for the vision. This is the first time Paul stays put for so long. He needed 
this word from Jesus. Surprising, isn't it? Here he is pastoring a new church, growing a new church, yet when he describes his experience in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I came to you in fear and in trembling. He was scared. He wanted to leave. But Jesus says, I am with you. I have many people in this city. Not meaning many Christians, but many people who will become Christians in this city. Keep speaking, Paul. They will respond. It is a good thing for all mature Christians to hear God's word speaking to them afresh. Paul needed this. Practically speaking, stuff like Bible study, being in a regular group, is going to be tough for leaders to attend, I know. But without God's word, even Paul was discouraged. How much more us as older Christians? We need this. How good it is for us to have this, God's word and Jesus's encouragement. A mark of true revival is not just new Christians turning to Christ, but old timers like you and me, repenting of our sin, waking up to God's call to holiness and faithfulness, listening afresh to the gospel of God's forgiveness in Christ alone. To hear Jesus says, to hear Jesus say, I am with you, I have many people in this city, and to have that drive out fear and spur us towards faithfulness. It must have been tough for Crispus, the synagogue ruler to move to the new church. Not to mention embarrassing, it must have been tough for Paul to get kicked out of yet another synagogue. Everyone around you is saying, get up, you know, get out of here, give up. You can listen to them or you can listen to Jesus who says, don't be afraid, I am with you. I have many people in this city. Finally, the non-Christian, the non-Christian. And this is Gallio in verse 12 onwards. This interesting guy, this Gallio, uh, verse, verse 12. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. It is the last verse that captures his spirit. Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. In Hokkien, we say, Bo chap. Verse 12. Gallio is the man. In this city, the region of Achaia, you want something done, you need the proconsul to sign off on it. Verse 13, he is the judge. The Jews bring Paul to court in front of Gallio and say, this man is breaking the law. Verse 14, he is dismissive. He interrupts Paul. He interrupts the Jews. 
if you Jews were making a complaint about a crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. Verse 15, he doesn't care about religion. Since it involves questions about words and names of your own law, I will not be a judge of such a thing. It's a waste of time. Verse 16, he has real power kicking them all out of his court. Verse 17, he just couldn't be bothered. And the crowd turned on Sosthenes, beat him in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. To Gallio, whether it's Christians, Muslims, Jews, you're all the same. You know, to Gallio, they all cause problems. They all waste time. To Gallio, you have no power over him. He can kick you out of his house anytime he wants. You almost sympathize with Gallio. A lot of religious issues are messy, troublesome, and tiresome. But to him, everything's the same. All religions, all gods, the only one with real power in the room is Gallio. No friends. The one who is in control is Jesus, who says, No one's going to attack and harm you, for I have many people in this city. At the end of the day, the clash of perspectives is not between you and me, between new and old, between this or that religion. It is whether you are God or God is God. Who is in control of your life? Claudius kicks the Jews out of Rome. The Jews kick Paul out of the synagogue. Gallio kicks the Jews out of his court. That's the way you know who is in control in this world. The one who is doing the kicking. <laughs> the one who is still in power. If you think that way, God is the ultimate kicker who reminds everyone in the room, I am in charge. Yet no one, nowhere in the Bible does God say, I am the God of the powerful and the rich and the influential. Instead, God says again and again, I am the God of the weak, the fatherless, the widow, and the orphan. Jesus is the God of Aquila who got kicked out of Rome, the God of Paul rejected by his own people. Why? Because Jesus was rejected by his people, betrayed by his friends, abandoned by his family, and died on the cross, who says to his followers, the greatest among you must be the least, and the first must be last. The Jews did not understand this. They lost, and so they beat up Sosthenes, their leader. Gallio doesn't understand this either. He won because of his power, his influence. But how do we know? Paul understood that God was really in control. Because every day for a year and a half, he stayed in that city. Because when he was dragged to court, he didn't know that God was going to save him. That's why he prepared that defense. He didn't get to give that defense, but he prepared it. But most of all, because when he was at his weakest and lowest, not his strongest and most influential, but when he was on the verge of giving up, Jesus came to him and said, I'm with you. And that's probably the scariest thing to do. Listening to the Bible like this each Sunday. 
to say to God, "You are in charge, not me. You don't need me. I need you. Your forgiveness, your love, your complete control over my life." And the most dangerous thing you can do as you listen to the Bible is to say with Gallio, "I don't care." That's very, very dangerous. The newcomer, the old timer, and the non-Christian. Thinking about how we present Christ to them, thinking about how we present the gospel, each has its temptation. Each has its challenges. For the newcomer, the temptation is to compartmentalize Christ. <laughs> only Sundays, only in church, and the challenge is partnership. You and I are a family. We are in this together, in this work for Christ. That's Aquila and Priscilla. That's Silas and Timothy, working alongside Paul every step of the way in this ministry of the gospel. For the old timer, the temptation is to minimize Christ. Oh, you know, I don't need to repent anymore. I don't need to、uh, to do this so much. You know, I'm old. I've done it all before. The challenge is to live even more radically for Jesus. Repenting of long-standing sins, deepening our love for God's word. Finally, for the non-believer, the temptation is to dismiss, to dismiss Christ. It's all the same, you know. Doesn't concern me. Dismissiveness is deadly. The challenge is simply to consider and to think critically: Is this true? Is Jesus Lord? No,、oh, okay. That that that's the whole article. That's the whole sermon. So you've been listening to the church next door. This was a sermon based on Acts chapter eighteen,、uh, verses one to seventeen. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Take care, and God bless. Have a good weekend. Bye.